we are beginning it's also the beginning of the book of the Manim, which deals with all the misvot that are dependent on time. The context is that a certain time began occurring, like for example, Friday at sunset, and that begins a, a certain obligation like Shabbat. In Chot Shabbat, Within Ilchot Shabbat, there is only five precepts. You think there is many more, but there is only five. Two are affirmative precepts, and three are negative. This is their division. The first one, this is the bulk of the things that are dealt with in Ilchot Shabbat. That is to uh, seize from, refrain from, doing any melacha, we'll explain melacha in a second, uh, during the seventh day of the week. The second, which is the flip side of the first one, is a negative, so not to do any melacha. Third one is, is really a, a commandment for the court, not to exact any punishments during Shabbat. Fourth one is is not to exceed the boundary of the city. In other words, it's forbidden to walk too much or to travel too much on Shabbat. This is in the Torah, according to Arambam. The fifth one is an affirmative one, is to sanctify the day, to distinguish the day somehow by a certain action we do to commemorate that. And the elaboration of all of these misvot is going to be in these chapters. Just one word about the word melacha. It's very, very difficult to translate it. And I think I'm going to use melacha throughout while we are studying this halachot. But just think of it, it's not just an action. It's more a transformation. If I had to translate melacha with just one word in English, I'd use the word transformation. To seize during the seventh day of the week, to refrain from doing any milacha, is an affirmative precept. as it is said, and on the seventh day, you shall refrain, you shall do shevita, you shall refrain from these kinds of milachot. And on the other side, whoever does do a milacha, he is, first of all, is not fulfilling the affirmative mitzvah, which is to refrain. And on the other hand, at the same time, with that same action, he's violating the actual prohibition from doing melacha. Like we say in the Ten Commandments, you shall not do any melacha. What is the, the consequence for having done a melacha? If the person did it, and now we have two elements here. Birsono, birsono means with the right intent. With the right intent is going to be the subject of this chapter. Bezadon, bezadon means with the right knowledge. So one is intent, one is knowledge. Zadon is as opposed to shogir. Birsono is as opposed to anus, or as opposed to any other lack in in the in the in the willingness of the action. So it's willfully and wantonly. The person is uh, going to have the consequence of karet, which is, as we explained in Chote is losing this 
um, this uh, sort of benefit that members of the Jewish people have, which is going into Olam Haba. And if this was done in front of witnesses and after a warning, then the earthly punishment for that is Sekila, which is the most severe punishment that the court has. It's the most severe form of a death penalty. If, however, the person did it, means that he doesn't know. Listen to this, it's important. is He doesn't know that today is Shabbat, or he doesn't know that this thing is forbidden, or, and I want to show you something I learned for the first time this week, and anyone who knows that today is Shabbat, but he has a Shagaga, he still doesn't know something about the Melachot, he didn't know that some Melachot are forbidden, or he knows it's Shabbat, he knows what he's about to do is forbidden, and he did not know that these transgressions have the consequence of karet. So this was a tremendous hidush for me, that also knowledge of the punishment of the consequence, um, if you don't have it, you'd be shogeg. So that, that, that was a tremendous hidush for me, and, and this also uh, should be should have consequences for how we treat and how we deal with people who do Hilul Shabbat today, most of whom probably don't know that what they are doing is karet. Sorry, if someone does it, there is a certain element of culpability here. It's your responsibility as a member of the Jewish people to know. You have to know it's Shabbat. You have to know what is forbidden, what is not forbidden. You have to know the punishment for things. So if you don't know, there is still some kapara that needs to be done. And when Bet HaMikdash is rebuilt, you have to bring, and this, by the way, is accumulated. You have to write it down if you have to bring something. When Betamidash is built, you have to bring it. You bring the Hattat Kebua, which is a fixed Hattat. In other words, it's not a Hattat that depends on how much money you have, like some other Hattaot. But this one, everyone brings Kavsa Ahad Bachinata. You bring one, uh, a one-year-old uh, sheep. Alakhabet. <coughs> Now Harambam is setting up some definitions for Ilchot Shabbat. Everywhere that we say, Harambam says, that whoever does a certain thing is Hayav, he uses the word Hayav, then the meaning is that this person, the consequence will be Karet. And if he has witnesses and a warning, Hayav Sekila, what is going to be Hayav is this. Uh, uh, death penalty from the Bedin of stoning. And if he was shogeg, and the, the word Ramam uses hayav, it means that he is hayav, he become, becomes obligated to bring this korban hatat. By the way, pay attention, Harambam is saying, Shabbat. Okay, this is specific for Yilchot Shabbat, this is the first time Harambam is setting up these definitions, namely, if we ever came across the word hayav in other contexts, this may or may not be the definition. Everything is according to its context. But don't cite this halacha here to say that whenever a says hayav is hayav whatever, or according to the next one, or whatever it says patur is patura valasur, or anything like that. Sometimes patur is patura valmutar. 
in other halachot, and that's why Haramam is so precise, and it says Be'ilchot Shabbat. Halachat Gimah, lechol makom shenomar she'ahoseh davar ze patur, and everywhere we say that whoever does a certain thing is patur, patur means exempt, halet ze patur mina karet, u'bina se'ilom mina korban, then the three things, the three alternatives of what a person will be hayab on, according to Halachabet, a person is exempt from, אבל אסור לעשות אותו דבר בשבת. However, it's forbidden to do this on Shabbat. ואיסורו מדברי סופרים, and this was forbidden by the חכמים. In other words, חכמים went ahead and carved out a prohibition where something was not otherwise prohibited by the Torah. Sometimes those prohibitions are blanket prohibitions, like we'll see later in the way you do something, and sometimes there are specific prohibitions. In other words, you have to imagine חכמים gathered around, they voted and they had a majority vote to prohibit a certain thing. That's when something becomes patur. Patur means patur from any consequence in the Torah. However, it's for, forbidden. They did so to uh, take us away from actually transgressing the melacha. Anyone who does any of those things that is patur purposely wantonly, knowing that it's forbidden, makin oto makat mardut. That person should get makat mardut. Makat mardut is a discretionary punishment by the court. It lashes, and they give this to people who rebel against the community and the community's laws, namely whoever wantonly disregards what Hachamim has said, the court has the permission to give him makat mardut. וכן כל, and so too, everything, וכן כל מקום שנאמר, and עושים כך וכך, whenever we say, one should not do this and this on Shabbat, או אסור לעשות כך וכך בשבת, or it's forbidden to do this, without using the word חייב, העושה אותו דבר בזדון, then whoever does this wantonly, מקין אותו מכת מרדות, he receives מכת מרדות, but not any biblical punishment or consequence. However, everywhere where we say something is permissible, is permitted to do so, this is permitted a priori at the outset. This is uh, something that is totally permitted to do. It wasn't forbidden nor by, neither by the Torah nor by Hamim. So too, whenever we say a person who does a certain thing is not did not become liable for anything, or he's exempt from everything, and a person should not, if he does, he goes ahead and does something for which we said, does not receive, not sekila, obviously, but not also makat martut. What is the difference between very simple, normally the context is when it's a question that we ask before you're doing something, so, May I do ABC on Shabbat or not? And the answer could be either Asur or Mutar. However, Enochayav Klum is something that we use when something already happened. And the context of when Enochayav Klum is being used is normally after the fact, which is why the language is different than Mutar La Asot. <laughs> דברים המותרים לעשותם בשבת ובשעת עשייתם אפשר שתעשה בגללן מלאכה ואפשר שלא תעשה. Things that are permissible to do on Shabbat. And during doing those things, 
It's possible that something else might happen, which is a melacha, and it's possible that something might not happen. And Aramam is going to give a few examples. So let's understand what we're saying here. You're doing an action that is permissible. But by doing that action, you may or may not indirectly or, or through doing this permissible action cause or bring about something that is a melacha. Okay, so for example, uh, one of the examples we're going to see, uh, walking on the grass, is it permissible to walk on the grass? Yes, that is devarim hamutarim la'asutam bashabbat. But walking on the grass, it may or may not be that by walking on the grass, I'm uprooting grass, uh, the melacha of Tolesh uh, is like Kotzer, that's one of the 39 melachot that will be forbidden. But I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not, and I don't intend for it to happen. This is the key point. I don't intend for it to happen. That's the name of this category of things, things that are not meant by the melacha. And not only are they not meant, but also I don't have a full knowledge. I, I, I'm not assuming that these things are going to happen. <clears throat> so if the intent was not to do that this is permissible how so a person may drag a bed or a chair migdal is something that they used to use to, to carry people around uh, I think in some countries in Asia they still use them it's a uh, it's something in which people sit down and then other people carry them, slaves or, or whatever. That's migdal, it's something heavier than kiseh, something heavier than substance. So you have here a progression from kiseh to migdal to, to sorry, from, from kiseh, uh, from mitad to kiseh to migdal. Um, migdal, by the way, the girsah in our Mishnah is sachsal, not migdal, and it might be that Haramam had a different girsah. We do not have on this specific word in his handwriting survived, so we don't know exactly what he had. Now, dragging something, causing, uh, uh, digging a ditch on Shabbat is one of the melachot of Shabbat, and it's it's a, it's a melachot of Koresh, it's forbidden. But I don't want to do that, I just want to drag this chair from point A to point B. Am I allowed to drag a chair? Yes not forbidden. However, what if by dragging the chair, maybe I'll be digging a ditch, maybe I will not. So that is a question here. This is permissible. I'm allowed, I'm not allowed to dig the ditch, but I'm allowed to drag the chair. Therefore, if it ends up being that I do dig a ditch inadvertently, I shouldn't worry because I did not mean it. Likewise, a person is permit, permitted to walk on vegetation on Shabbat. So long as the intent is not to approve them. Therefore, if they were approved, then I should not worry. It's also permissible to exfoliate your skin. They used to use some... Uh, powder from very dry fruit to exfoliate the skin as soap. So it's permissible to wash your hands like that. 
so long as I'm not intending to remove my hair from my hands, which is a melecha. Therefore, if the hair was removed, I should not worry. So too, if there is in a in a wall, there is a very narrow uh, breach in that wall that has it's a wall that's made of stones. So so there is pebbles in the cement from throughout the borders of this breach inside that wall, but I am allowed to go through that breach on Shabbat, even though it's very tight, and even though I may or may not cause some of the wall to get further destroyed and cause this breach to, to get further expanded. So to everything that people might do that they are not intending and that the Melacha is not necessary, it's not a necessary result of the permissible action. This is permitted on Shabbat. Uh, some uh, points from here, one example would be brushing your teeth. You may or may not bleed, ble making yourself bleed is a melacha on Shabbat, but this is not the intent of brushing the teeth. Brushing the teeth is, is permissible, and, and therefore Haramam would say this is permitted. Um, just to, to bring us something that's more relatable. Now we are switching gears and this is something that is forbidden. And we said that when you don't know that something is going to happen for a fact, then it's and that is permitted. What if you do know that something is going to happen for a fact? What if the action, the nature of the action you're doing has embedded within it as part of that action? And this is something everyone knows as part of that action, occurs. So it's not what you intend. You intend to do something permissible still, but the, the, the action that you are doing, you know is going to cause a melacha. So I struggled to understand this concept until I learned criminal law in law school. Because in American, in the American criminal justice system, we also have a similar concept. What happens if you, let's say you're driving <clears throat> very dangerously and you kill someone? You didn't intend to kill that someone, you didn't have the mens rea to kill, but you were exposing that person to a risk that you were aware of. So you knew that you were doing something because of which you may or may not kill someone. That in American law is called recklessness. So halakha dealt with recklessness. It's doing something that you know that may or may not cause a milakha. Recklessness was permitted on Shabbat. Al-Chavav is above, that is knowledge. You still don't intend it, but you are, let's say you're shooting into the crowd. You don't want to kill anyone, but you know that by shooting into the, you just want to shoot, you just want to practice, uh, to, to hear the sound of your gun. But you know that by shooting into the crowd, someone is going to die. That is knowledge. Knowledge is Al-Chavav, that's called Pesik Reshe. Asamase, the person does an action. And because of that action, it's known, it's known that for sure something else, a melacha, is going to happen. Even if the person did not intend it specifically, this would be hayav. This would be the same as intending it. It's not about the rabbanan, not the rabbanan. This is hayav. This is hayav. Because it was known that it's impossible to not do that melacha. How so? 
הרשס הלך לראש עוף לשחק בו לקטן. This is a classic example in מסכת שבת. Back in the day they didn't have toys around, they didn't have toys. If you wanted a kid to play with, one toy you'd give them is a hagav. Hagav is a, a, a live grasshopper. This would be one kind of toy that they would use. Another toy they would use is the head of the chicken. It doesn't have a lot of meat, so you don't eat it. So after the father does, or the mother does shahita on the chicken, obviously you don't throw anything out. You live in, in times when having a chicken was a luxury of, of the highest order. You take the head of that chicken and you give it to the child to play with. Let's say you just want to give the head of the chicken to the child to play with. Let's say we're dealing with a dead chicken. Is it permitted to cut the head of a dead chicken? Yes. So a person wants to take the head of the chicken to give it to the child. Now this chicken happens to be alive. And then he cuts the head on Shabbat. Even though the, his final, his ultimate, his ultimate objective, his ultimate objective is not to kill the chicken. He doesn't want to kill the chicken. As far as he is concerned, the chicken should continue living, just given the head. However, it's known that it's impossible to cut the head of a living thing, and it's known that you're causing the death of a living thing by cutting his, its head off. And so to other examples. I just want to make one point about the Gemara on this. So, the last halacha, halacha he, derives from the Mahloket Tanaim, the Mahloket between the sages of the Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, both students of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Shimon is the one who says that davar she'enomit kaven mutar, that things that are not intended on Shabbat are permissible because the Torah required intent, specific intent, for liability on Shabbat. And Rabbi Shimon left it at that. Rabbi Shimon left it at that. And Halakha was, in the Gemara, was like Rabbi Shimon, that davar she'enomit kaven mutar. Many generations later, in the times of Rava and Avaye, this is many generations later, what happened between Rabbi Shimon and Rabba Avaye, I, I leave it to you to think about. Also, think about what would have happened before Rabbi Shimon, if someone asked, is the Shinomit Kaven permissible or forbidden? It's a very interesting thing that they didn't have an answer until Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yehuda, battled it out in the yeshiva and Rabbi Shimon won. It was Ravavev and Avayyeh that introduced the concept of Pesik Reshe. So, some of the, of the, I'm just making this point because some of the Mishnayot, some of the, of the statements that are said by the, by the Mishnah, they were said before it had been decided that, that, that Pesik Reshe, the Loyamut, is Hayav. So just have that in mind, have in mind the timing of when these things were decided. Not that it makes any difference for us, for us, we are after all of them, and this is the halakha that we have, this is Minat Torah. But it's important for learning Gemara and learning Mishnayot to know when each thing was decided. Now, in halakha Vav, just want to make one point, a very important point, and have it in mind throughout Masechet Shabbat, throughout Yilchot Shabbat, Mechila. There is a difference between Melacha and something that is forbidden. Not everything that is forbidden on Shabbat is called 
melacha with the word melacha. Melacha is a technical term. It's something, for the most part, that is min ha-Torah. It's one of the 39 melachot. Therefore, rereading this halacha, I leave it as an open question to you, whether Pesik Reshe, this concept, only applies when what you are causing is an actual melacha, according to Arambam, or even when what you are causing is something that are banan. So let me give you an example. Let's let's say that a carrying on Carmelit is, is a melacha, right? Is a, is a, is a, sorry, is, a, is shavut. It's forbidden with Rabbanan. Let's say that you know that by doing something, you're causing the the carrying of something through Carmelit, which is the Rabbanan. Is this within Al-Chavav or not? I posit it's probably not. It's probably not. It's only Melachot. Only Melachot, if you are doing something because of which, for sure, something Midteoraita is going to happen, then you're within Al-Chavav and it's Hayav. It's as if you intended that secondary melacha. Al-Chazayin, another, another machloket from the Mishnah. And if I have to summarize Al-Chazayin before we begin, I'm going to say it in three and a half words, because the second word is two words are combined into one in, in English. Motive doesn't matter. Motive doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the motive that you have. And this is true also in American law. You have different degrees of murder. But if you intend to kill someone, whether you wanted to kill this person because you hated them, or you just wanted to shoot your gun for fun, it normally doesn't matter in most jurisdictions for being guilty of murder. So to for Yuchot Shabbat, whether you have the motive, the motivation of bringing about the result that a melacha is normally known to bring, or not, is irrelevant. So long as you intended the melacha and you knew that this, this result happens, that's enough. So, anyone who does a melacha on Shabbat, even if he doesn't need the result, gufa melacha means the result, the product of this melacha, is hayav. Kesad, what's an example of that? Let's say a person um, turns off a lamp of oil because he needs the oil. He doesn't want the oil to be wasted. So he doesn't want the product of the of the lechabot. Lechabot, the product of, product of uh, turning off a fire, normally is to create to create a beham to create the 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 burnt the burnt material which then becomes easier to light. So what they would do is, if you wanted to have something that is very easy to light, you first would light it one time, then turn it off right away. And then when you light something that's blackened, that carbon makes it much easier to, to make it much more flammable. It's much easier to light the next time. So that is the, the actual objective of Kevia, of turning something off. However, what you intend here has nothing to do with the fire or with the flame or with the carbon that you are creating as a byproduct. What you want here is to save on oil. So you don't have the same motive that normally is associated with Lechabot. <clears throat> you turned off that lamp in order to avoid 
the ceramic, the, the mud of the lamp itself from burning, you forgot to put water underneath and you know it's going to burn. Because you engage in this melacha of kibui, it's enough to be hayav. But and you had the intent of engaging in this melacha. It doesn't matter the motive that you had, matters the intent. Even if he doesn't need the product of kibui, and the only reason he did so is to save on oil or to save the heres, the, the actual lamp. This is hayav. So too, any person who transports some kind of a nuisance, some, some kind of a hazard for, for a mot, uh, for a mot is about six feet within the Shut Rabim, which is a melacha, <coughs> as we'll see. Or if there is a lit coal on the street and you turn it off, you put it off so that people don't step on it and get hurt. Hayav is Hayav, even though he didn't intend, he didn't have the motive that's normally associated with a bilacha. Even though he doesn't need what's the product of kibui normally, or the product of the transport, the transporting, you don't want to move it to point B, you just want it to not be in point A. So two examples that look like this. Now this again has to do with intent and what we intend on Shabbat. <clears throat> and Alachachet, unlike Halacha Zain, the intent now is to do something forbidden, but it's something to do something forbidden that's not what I end up doing. So I intend to do A, A is a Melacha, and by accident, not something that I would know beforehand, B happens. B also is a Melacha. So, anyone who intends to do melacha, and then he ends up doing another melacha that was not intended, he's patur. Given that his intent was not carried to fruition. How so? If a person throws a stone or shoots an arrow, at his friend, what kind of friend is that? But at another person, or or at an animal, to kill them. Instead of and that arrow, instead of going and killing the cow, it got stuck on the tree and cut cut off a branch, cutting a branch of a tree is a sur. It's also melacha. patur. This is patur. homer. How much more so in Kavenle is to Kalvinasa Isur Hamur if the intent was to engage in Melacha Aleph, which is and not a serious Melacha, for example, some or, or something with the Rabbanan, and then it went on to become something Midoraita. So obviously this was way more than he had intended, and he didn't have the requisite intent to be Hayav on that more serious thing. For example, if someone intends to throw something within Karmelit, which is a Rabbanan, and then the, the rock goes and exceeds and goes to the Shut Rabin, Shopatur, he's exempt. So to anything of this sort. 
התכוון לעשות דבר המותר ולעשות מלאכה, if a person intends to do something permissible, and then a מלאכה happens. כגון שנתכוון לחתוך את התלוש וחתך את המחופר, for example, intends to cut something that is uprooted, and is permissible, it's permissible to cut a flower that's not connected to anything on Shabbat, or to cut a, a fruit, fruit used to be מחובר, but then you go and you cut something that's actually connected, אינו חייב כלום, this person is not obligated on anything, obviously we're not saying מותר here, we're saying אינו חייב כלום, although the consequence is the same, because nobody can a priori before the fact want to do something that is a mistake. וכן כל כיוסי בזן סול טו אבריטינג אוף דיס קאנט. הלכת ט' This is a difficult halakha to understand, but it comes straight from a Mishnah. So if you have any questions, the questions are on the Mishnah, not on Harambam. If a person intends to collect black te'anim, black figs, and he ends up collecting white figs. Now, these seem to have been two kinds of figs, whether two different kinds of different species, or at least from the same species, then in at different stages of ripeness, which have different purposes. So when you approach something that's very ripe, it's for one purpose, you approach something that's not as ripe, it's for a different purpose. או שנתכוון ללקט ענבים ולאחר כך תאנים ונפח הדבר ולקט התאנים בתחילה ועל כך ענבים, or if he intends to first uproot, to collect, to harvest grapes and then figs, or figs and then grapes, and he did upside down, he, he did first A and then B, or first B and then A. Patur, he's patur. Even though he intended to, at the end of the day, he, end up, he ends up having everything that he intended, the time he engaged in that melacha, if you look at each of these melachot separately, at that moment he was not doing what he intended. Because he did not, harvest in the order that he intended, patur, shelo asra Torah ila melechet mahashevet, and this is the, the, the sentence the Mishnah brings to explain the Rebishim On's position, because the Torah only forbade things that are specifically intended, melechet mahashevet. Halachayot. Hayu lefanav shalem nirod olkot ukabot, ve'etkaven lechabot zo v'chibayt zo, o'dedik zo ve'edikit zo hayav. A person that had two candles lit, two lamps that are lit, or two lamps that are not lit, and he intended, if, he, if they are lit, he intended to turn them off. So if they are not lit, he intended to turn them on, and he, he mixed up the order among these two candles, between these two candles, then now we are talking about uh, something, again, it's very difficult to understand al-Khatet, in light of Al-Khayyod and Al-Khayyod in light, in light of Al-Khatet. But the cases are distinguishable, they are different. In this case, uh, there, is no, there is no real, there is no difference in the light that comes from one lamp versus the light of the other lamp. Functionally, they are the same. It's just the order that was mixed up. So if I want to have more light in the room or less light in the room, it shouldn't really matter if I'm lighting light A, lamp A or lamp B. That is one explanation, it's not 100% satisfactory, but nor are the other ones. Hayav, because he did the kind of melacha that he intended. 
did a kind of melacha and he achieved the kind of transformation that he intended, in other words, either increasing light or decreasing light. What is this comparable to? If someone wants to harvest one specific fig and ends up grabbing a different fig of the same kind, if someone intends to kill A and then kills B, is uh, liable because the melacha he intended to do was carried on. Now, Alaf is supposed to help us understand the difference between Alachatit and Alachayot. However, if he intended to first light A and then turn off B, but then he ends up turning off C instead and then lighting B. This is Patur because he did not achieve the result he wanted, the melacha is to, again, decrease light or increase light, and he did that in the wrong order. So the moment that he was really turning off, he intended to turn on, and vice versa, it's not the same melacha. Now, to understand how, how this happens, just imagine, for purposes of illustrating this halakha, two birthday candles, one is lit, one is not, they are almost touching each other, and the flames are almost touching each other, so I blow the first flame, and what it does is the flame leaves the first candle and goes on the second candle. Okay, so with one blowing, I'm turning one off and turning the other one on. So let's say there are three candles, one is, uh, or four candles, Two are lit and two are off, and I really intend for the third one to become off and to light the fourth one, not for the first one to become off and to turn the second one, but I blow and then the opposite happens. That's the case here. Of the case we just described. So he will be Hayav in this situation because. Although the order wasn't exactly the same, it wasn't also that the actions were delayed one after the other in an order that he did not intend, because everything happens more or less at the same time. Everything happened at the same time. So to everything of this sort. And everyone who does a melacha means as he's doing something else then this person will be patur this is not mutar mitasek is patur why is mitasek patur and not mutar because mitasek is much closer to the to anything else it's just not being careful enough with doing the uh, melacha so uh, let's say i'm playing playing with fire, just playing with it, playing with the candle, and then by accident I turn it off, you cannot say that something like that is mutar. You can only say that something like that is patur. 
כל המתכוון לעשות מלאכה ונעשית ביתר על כוונתו היה ופחות מכוונתו בטור. anyone who intends to do a מלאכה and ends up doing more than the requisite intent is חייב if he does less than the requisite intent is פטור. כיצד? how so? הרי שנתכוון להוסיף מסע לאחריו ובלא לפניו חייב שאני מתכוון לשפידת החוקה ונעשית שמילה מעולה. I have to explain a couple of words about transporting things. When you're carrying one thing from point A to point B, in order to be hayav, you need to be carrying it in a way that is protective of the object you're transporting. If it's not in a way that is protective of the object you're transporting, then it's patur. So having a bag, carrying a bag behind you is less protective than carrying it in front of you. So if you intended to carry it behind you, still is hayav, but then came in front of you, then th that, that's more hayav even, because your intention would have been to do something that is hayav, and you did exactly, you fulfilled 100% of that intent, then you are hayav. However, if the opposite happens, if you try to carry something in a way that's very protective, in a way that is let's call it super hayav, and you end up, by accident, not being able to do so, but carrying it behind you, which is still hayav, but it's a little less hayav, it's not 100% what you intended, you are patur. If you intend to carry it in front of you, it came behind you, patur. Because you intended something that was 100%, the 100% of your intention would have been super hayav to carry something in a way that's very protective of it. It ends up being, let's say, 90% of it, of what you intended, which is carrying it behind you, and therefore you did not fulfill your, your full intent and your itpatur. So to any example of this sort. בין שבזה המסע שדרכו להוסיאו בדרך הזאת לפניו, בין שבא לאחריו חייו, שכן דרכו להיות חוזר. However, if this was some kind of like a, 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 a belt, and you carried something as if in a belt, and it came from the front to the back, from the back to the front, then it doesn't matter which one is more protective, by carrying something in this way, everyone knows that it's almost impossible to predict it, that while you walk, if that thing is going to end up in the front or in the back, so even though you intended to put it in the front, you had the knowledge when you were carrying it this way that putting it in the front does not mean in the front, it can end up being in the back as well. And therefore, what you intended and knew about was fulfilled. Now we're talking about shiurim, about the amounts, Every melachas you are going to see has a certain threshold, a certain minimum, without which you are not fully hayav. So, let's say there is a minimum for a melacha, <clears throat> and you intend for that minimum, but you didn't. Sorry, but you intend for more than min, that than that minimum, but you end up doing at least that minimum. Then you'd be hayav, even though you did not finish the entire transformation you intended. Ketzal, an example. Let's say someone intends to write an entire letter 
or an entire document on Shabbat, אין אומרים, לא יתחייב זה עד שישלים חפשו ויכתוב כל האגרת הכל השטר. We shouldn't say this person will only be liable when he finishes the entire letter or the entire document, אלא משיכתוב שתיאותיות יתחייב. Rather, the moment that he writes two letters, writing two letters is a minimum for writing on Shabbat, he'll be חייב. וכן מתכוון לאירוג ברל שלם, so too if a person intends to saw together, to put together an entire garment, משיירוג שנחותים חייב. The moment he puts together two, uh, two stitches, this is enough, or sorry, two strings together is enough to be chayab, even though he didn't finish the garment. Since he had the full intent to do something within the shi'ur, in other words, he did intend to do those first two, those first two stitches. He did intend to write those two first letters. That is enough to... Bihayav, and this is, I think, consistent with the theme we saw before, motive doesn't matter. What you want as a final product doesn't matter. It's the action that you're doing, and whether within this action you have the right intent, and you fulfill your intent the way you intended it. And if that action has a shiur, then you'll be hayav. That's it. Alachat etvav. Alachat etvav and tetzayin have to do with doing something by more than one person, when it can be done by one person alone, or when it cannot be done by one person alone. Every melacha that can be done by one, by one individual, two people ended up collectively engaging in it and doing it, bringing it about together. Whether a person did a little bit and then the other person came and finished it. <clears throat> and this is, by the way, in a conspiracy, they, they, they know. So, it's not the same as just doing half a melacha. In other words, you could ask, well, I know that doing half a melacha is never hayav. Why do I need this halacha? No, because it is doing half a melacha in coordination with someone else who is going to do the other half. But still, the halacha is a bit matur. Like, for example, if a person starts the, the melacha of transporting of ha'avara, by uh, taking an object, let's say, from inside the house and bringing it outside, but not placing it there, and then having the second person grab that object and placing it outside. Or if the melacha was done jointly from beginning to end, like two people grabbing the pen together and writing in unison together with that same pen, or together they grab a piece of bread and together they transport it from point A to point B. This is Patur. Because the Torah says, when a person alone does the Melacha, Hachamim learn from there, when two people do it together, it's not Ba'asotaha, but it's Ba'asiyatam Otaha. That's different. Lachat Zain. However, if it's a kind of action that necessitates two people, for example, transporting something that's very heavy, that needs two people, so long as one person by himself could not have taken that thing and transported it by himself, 
שניהם חייבים, ו- both of them would be liable, ושיעור אחד לשניהם, and they both have the same שיעור to be חייב, same threshold. היה היה כוח באחד להוסיף עולה זו לבדו והשני לא יכול להוסיע לבדו. ונשתפו שם הם והוסיעו הזה שיכול חייב, השני מסייע או מסייע אינו חייב כלום, וכן כל כך עושה בזה. If one of the people was very strong and the other one wasn't, and that the first strong person can do it by himself, but the other one could not have done it by himself, and the person could have done it by himself is חייב, because the other one is not really helping him do the מלאכה. But the second one who couldn't have done it without the first one is Patur. Alachayut Zayin, now we're talking about being destructive, and Melacha, by nature, Melacha is a transformation, but it's a productive transformation. It's a transformation that is beneficial in some way. Kol HaMekalkelin Peturin, all destructive actions are not liable. Kesad, how so? Adashichaval b'chavero obivhemad rechashchata. If someone injures, hurts his friend, or his, again, what kind of a friend, injures his colleague or an animal just out of a, a, an intent, a motive to be destructive, or he breaks things or tears garments or burns garments just to be destructive, this is patur, of course, not patur, So too, if a person digs a hole in the ground and he doesn't, the only thing he needs is not the hole, he just needs the, the afar, he just needs the, um, the, the, um, the dust, the, the, the soil that he's taking from there. So really that hole is destroying the ground, it's not really creating a hole for any constructive beneficial purpose. מקלקל ופטור, אף על פי שעשו מלאכה, even though they are making מלאכה, הואיל וכוונתם לקלקל, given that this מלאכה, the intent is to destroy, פטורים this פטור. However, הלכה י"ח, כל המקלקל, אמנת לתקן חייו, whoever destroys, in order to then, in order to prepare something that is beneficial, that is חייו. כיצד? How so? The one who destroys a building in order to build a new one in its stead. Or someone who erases something in order to then write on that place where now it's erased. Or if he digs a hole in order to, to build a foundation in there. And examples of this sort. The shi'ura, the shi'ura mtaken, is hayav, and the shi'ur that he'd be hayav, the threshold, the minimum amount of the melacha, is the minimum amount of the constructive stage of it, not the destructive stage of it. So for example, the mahak, the erasing, it's not how many letters I'm erasing, but if I'm erasing enough to be able to write two letters, which is the minimum for writing. That's what we mean, שיעורו כשיעור המתקן. הלכה י"ט, כל העושה מלאכה בשבת, מקצתה בשגגה ומקצתה בזדון, בין שהזיד ובסוף שגג ושגג ולבסוף הזיד, פטור, אך שיעשה שיעור המלאכה כולם מתחילה ועד סוף בזדון. 
anyone doing melacha in the beginning of it was knowingly and the end was unknowingly or the opposite it doesn't matter when from the beginning until the end there needs to be an intent the intent needs to be coordinated with the action in order for there to be a hiruv. Um, and then he would be or he should have at least the intent from beginning to the end without having the knowledge that today Shabbat, for example, and then he'll be on So just want to give a very brief summary of this chapter, which we just finished. It's a very important chapter of Ilkhot Shabbat. It has a few very important principles. It deals mostly with uh, intent. Um, so we started saying that uh, on, on Shabbat, you need the most important thing almost. Is, is the intent, or, or at least one of the things without which you cannot be Hayab is intent. And uh, we discussed, we discussed that uh, the first thing, the first rule is something that if you if you are, are doing something that is permissible and you may or may not cause something that is, that is a melacha, that's mutar. The second thing we discussed is uh, is an exception to the Vashnomit Kaven. When you do know you're causing another Melacha, then it's Hayav. And I pointed out this is probably only Melacha, not the Rabbanan. Number three, we spoke about Mechashas de Chalikufa, according to Rambam. Motive is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what your actual motivation for doing Melacha is, even if you don't need the product of Melacha. That then it's, it's still Hayav. Then we spoke about the kind of intent that you have to have. You have to intend specifically what you are doing not something else. You have to intend fully what you're doing, not less than that. Uh, we spoke about the shiur. We spoke about mikalkel. Mikalkel is that uh, when, when someone does something destructively, it's patur, unless that destructiveness has an aspect of constructiveness in it, in which case it's hayab. And then uh, the, 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 the point of the coordination between the intent and the action, the moment you're doing the action, you have to have that necessary mens rea, the necessary intent for Shabbat. And just a couple of words from American law. On Shabbat, knowledge is enough to be hayav. You don't need to actually intend. If you know that you're doing something, that is enough to be hayav. But recklessness is mutar. If you are pretty sure that something might happen, a milacha might happen, but you don't intend it, then this is not only patur, but it's mutar. Tomorrow we'll do perekbet by Zatashem.